Before we start this episode, I'd like to read the iTunes feedback that we've gotten. Um, so one was from Nadia in her own world. Thank you, Nadia. It says pretty good queer Arabs would be better in space. I agree. Gravity's a bitch. Another one is from WHJ112. It says, I don't typically listen to podcasts, but I'm now a devoted listener of the queer Arabs. The hosts lead thoughtful discussions on queer Arab identity in America and abroad. Guest speakers are common and come from a range of professional backgrounds from artists and journalists to activists and doctors highly recommended thank you so much that i can't even tell you how much that means to us and then there's one from quake 3 arena player it says this is a refreshing podcast of two people being themselves this was back when it was just ellie and me and who they are is beautiful and refreshing an important podcast keep up the great work thank you so much to those who have left feedback it really makes a difference it not only encouraging but it helps the podcast show up more for people on itunes so please when you have a chance rate and review us on itunes we would greatly appreciate it on with the show Welcome to the Queer Arabs podcast. This is Alia. And Ellie. And we are the Queer Arabs. I'm Saudi American and a lesbian. I am bi trans Lebanese and we are broadcasting out of Houston and Berkeley today. <laughs> yeah, you're in Berkeley, right? Yeah, I just landed here uh, two days ago from uh, a five week long winter break. <laughs> oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. where were you? I was in uh, Southern California. My family lives in like LA County Inland Empire area. Oh, nice. <laughs> So can you introduce yourself? Oh, we yeah. have a we have a guest on who is awesome. I I heard her first on Ethnically Ambiguous and I was like this We have to poach this interview a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, can you introduce yourself? Um say kind of what you do, what you're studying, stuff like that. Yeah, uh, my name is Summer. I am a poet, a writer, <laughs> currently a student at Berkeley doing uh, a degree in English literature and Right now, I'm working on my senior thesis that's on homeland manifestation in the poetry of Palestinian American women. Whoa! <laughs> so, oh. you know, <laughs> getting to write poetry and read it and write about it all at the same time, which is fun. Yeah, so I'm, oh. I'm Palestinian for those that didn't figure that based on the <laughs> studying Palestinian American poetry. <laughs> yeah. Are, are both your parents Palestinian? Yeah, so both my parents were born in Nazareth, very holy city kind of thing um yeah and then my dad immigrated to the u.s when he was like 12 and then my mom immigrated um after she married my dad when she was 25. oh wow okay so much different timelines for them yeah um so have you had a chance during your life to visit palestine any part of palestine yeah so i went when i was um seven i got to go to nazareth and akka and i think haifa i don't remember it very well and i was actually baptized there when i was seven. Oh my gosh yeah so it was really really cool because i got to be baptized in the church that my parents got married in Aww. and it's also That's a incredible. church that like it was like built around a well that jesus got water from or something like that so like a bear, very very oh. like <laughs> very intense yeah 
<laughs> yeah. That's incredible. That must have been yeah. really meaningful for your parents too. Um, oh, absolutely. And like, it was, it's weird because like, I didn't really get it then. But like, thinking back on it now, I'm like, wow, like, hell yeah, I'm so, I feel so lucky to have yeah. been able to do that. But yeah. um, we're gonna try to go next year during Christmas. I guess this year, yeah. 2019, during Christmas. Oh, really? That's exciting. Yeah. Hopefully awesome. I hope it works, works out. out. Yeah. I really hope you can. So after age seven, did you return again? Like, mm-hmm. so I haven't oh, been so it's been since then. Since, how old am I now? I'm 21. 14 years. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. So haven't Whoa. been since then. I've had cousins come visit um, the U.S. since then, which has been nice. So there's like tiny pieces yeah, of yeah. there. But yeah, just oh, very you- expensive. So um you know anyone who's been on birthright they just just give me a plane ticket (laughs) no kidding that's a whole other podcast episode (laughs) i could go on Um, so when you talk to your parents what do they tell you about palestine it's really interesting because sometimes we'll just be like chatting and i'll mention like i went to the grocery store and i bought some figs and they'll start talking about our neighborhood just like the homes and like neighborhoods and there used to be just all of the fruit trees that used to grow in their neighborhood in their mm-hmm. house and just I think yeah I think I was talking about how like I got some good really really good dates from the farmer's market and I was yeah. really really happy about it and they were just like oh we used to have like all these things we used to have figs and like oranges mm-hmm. or whatever and every fruit ever and like we used to have dogs and pets and just mm-hmm. talking about just like kind of like an abundance yeah. of just things and then it gets a little sad and then we're like oh okay <laughs> not really like that we're kind of cut off from that but yeah I think uh, my mom and I actually have been having a lot of conversations because like the more I do in college the more I've been trying to reconnect with culture I think yeah Um, makes sense. my house was never one like I know a lot of people who grew up with immigrant parents it was kind of in your house it is the country your parents immigrated from but like our house was never it's not like it was like in when you're in the house it is Nazareth I think we didn't really have like Arabic TV very often we listened to a lot of Arabic music and we ate a lot of Arabic food but I think since I got into college and I started actually meeting other Arabs and like Palestinians outside of just like my immediate family I was trying to find more artists just writers performers and things that were just kind of speaking to what I was more interested in and my experiences and just my like re-divulging into things and being like oh mom have you heard of the singer and her being like yes let me send you every song that I remember and just her finding everything like YouTube is amazing it is YouTube has so much I know like stuff that is decades old has made it yeah. onto YouTube. Like, um, it's amazing. Yeah. I'm I love it. actually very thankful for that because yeah. I mean, part of the tragedy of the Middle East is instability, but because of that, no copyright law is yeah. vigorously. In- so thankfully, like That's all those the tapes, silver lining. all those mm-hmm. tapes that were like our parents listened to that are starting to decay are yeah. getting onto YouTube and no one's fucking taking them. Yeah, down. they're getting amazing. digitized and they're accessible and um, on Spotify. I know there's a lot of it. Yeah. So, but that's like a whole other episode just archiving the middle east cultural past it's just good point yeah and how meaningful it is now to us who um are in we're part of that diaspora and yeah we'll always feel kind of one foot on this country one foot Mm -hmm. on the other and kind of figure out we always have to figure out where do i belong and it's just kind of nice to like be able to have access to that part of yourself yeah like it's 
it's like not hard to find all the music yeah just like every day my mom will just send me another video on whatsapp or something or like my dad will like play Aww. like <laughs> my favorite thing is when um my dad is i don't know doing dishes or something and he'll have his his ipod or his not his ipod his iphone <laughs> uh -huh, yeah. um like playing off music and it'll be a mix of his arabic music and then like celine dion yeah <laughs> so it'll like mix through and she's like oh this is this is just nice Yeah, it's a reflection of his life now. Um, yeah. Like... Um, but yeah, so like my mom has started getting like in the last like four years back more like consistently listening to Arabic music and the like, kind of rediscovering some things that she used to like. And I think yeah. she was just telling me that she kind of has had this space away from things that she needed. And it's like hard because, you know, she misses home a lot. I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, like, doing things that constantly remind her of home makes her, you know, sadder that she hasn't been there in a long yeah. time. But she tells me she realizes things more and more the longer she's in the U.S. about just occupation and conditions of how it is. She used to tell me how her family would go visit the West Bank a lot and visit family or, like, her dad's business partners and stuff. And I think about now just reading about, like, how and, like, why they she told me that she, like, realized why they stopped going to the West Bank is because it just kept getting more and more dangerous for Arabs to do anything relating to borders. Yeah. And just like thinking now, just like how hard it is to fathom the idea that you just casually go to the West Bank for a weekend. And like, you know, my cousins still, they do that. Like one of my cousins is a filmmaker and he's, He's really, actually, really fucking cool. Eli Rezik. He uh, doesn't, you know, he does a lot of filmmaking and he'll go to protests and film them and does documentaries and stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, he's just, you know, he does, he's very involved, but it's just like interesting and just like hearing him talk about like current political climate of that versus like what my parents talk about because yeah. I think there's a lot of extra purposeful distance in not trying to think about how injustices <laughs> exist um, often. Yeah. Right. What, can you repeat his name? Um, Ili Rezik, um, oh, okay. so R-E-Z-I-K. And hopefully Rezik. we'll have a link to his stuff later. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah. Okay, ch check out our website. You know what? how this works. <laughs> Even just the what might seem like a little thing, like hearing about the fig trees and stuff, mm -hmm. that really paints a picture in your head of what it looked like and the smells. and Yeah. That kind of thing is always really what I remember. Mm -hmm. Even something that seems simple. Yeah. Oh, we have orange trees here. and That's so. actually been sort of like a running thing with my folks is like they're always trying to plant some sort of like fig tree or <laughs> lemon tree or some sort of tree and it almost never works out but <laughs> the lemon tree worked here it is texas i mean it's like hit or miss it took them 15 but... years to get it to work <laughs> yeah but your mom's lemon tree is very impressive now i know certain things you can't recreate mm -hmm. yeah. yeah my Mom has been on a hunt to try to find the herbs that she doesn't know what they are in English. Oh, like, oh my god! Um, like I, I was reading, um, I was reading Salt Houses by Halalian, and the characters made tea. They made like merami, and I was like, Mom, what is merami? Like, what, what is oh. it? And she was like, merami, but like, it's not. Like what is like what is it? She's like I don't know actually, and so she start, she yeah. like called her mom, and like <laughs> oh. they were like talking about the leaves, and like we figured out it's sage. It's just sage, like it's oh like magical 
tea that will, you know, fix everything that's ever been wrong with you. It's just sage. That's um, so funny. But, but it, do she, it doesn't yeah. feel like just it's, sage, does it? Right? Like, it's just something like, different. I don't trust that. It's just sage. <laughs> yeah. And then there is this other herb. It's called like phasian. And it's like what you season olives with. She couldn't find it. Like she would search in Arabic and just like couldn't find the actual thing. And it was just so much. And we finally figured it out. It's like some, I don't know, something that I don't actually know what it, the plant is. But we found an Etsy yeah. shop that sells it. <laughs> Oh my god! So we bought this plant, and we seasoned. It was great. We seasoned our olives with it. It was really good. It was yeah. like legit. Okay, it was right. Oh yeah, good. Just, yeah, good. but now they have like a little herb garden going, and they're like, we're gonna just gonna like try to find all the plants that we like. I feel like your mom Ellie had a similar thing. She was like, "There's this green leaf. What is it called?" What's right it now, called? now you've got me thinking. What the fuck was that? The green no, because like she makes this thing. I had never had it till I think it's like a. Le specific to the Levant made from this really specific green leaf. Uh, it's basically rice. You Is it the hui? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay, Thank yeah. you. Yes. So it's 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 mallow mallow is, is the english word i don't even know what mallow i don't even know is. what mallow is but yeah it's mallow root yeah that was another thing because oh. like we would buy it and like you know but like it's called mallow <laughs> so it doesn't sound as magical it doesn't sound good <laughs> no it doesn't and i just had it a year and a half ago or something at ellie's mom's house and i was whoa it was just this thing like and then i suddenly wondered like what is this and she she was like i don't know it's this thing in arabic <laughs> malahi malahia is that Mujia. what you said oh, oh okay anyways god we're so white uh, but yeah, it's like, I feel like so much of that is being lost. Like, did your parents go out of their way to try and teach you Arabic or were they like integrate? So, yeah, with us, it was okay. So I have an older brother. Um, he's seven years older than me and he his first language was arabic and then when he started going to school his teachers were like he needs to speak english otherwise he's gonna be behind everyone else and so wow. my parents were like oh shit <laughs> um yeah. english now um and then so when i was born they didn't teach me arabic yeah. i grew up like hearing arabic but never like actively being taught it yeah, yeah. um i i took a year of arabic here at berkeley which was nice because now i can read yeah but uh it and you know it's like when they teach you at school it's like the modern standard arabic so it's like no yeah. one actually speaks this i know um i know but yeah but i was able to have like conversations with my mom in arabic over the phone and stuff oh and so that's that cool. was like really comforting um i need to like keep up with it and just like please be keep up with it. please do don't yeah. be like us <laughs> don't be like ellie or me and slack off because i started taking it and it just mm -hmm. i didn't stick with it and I regret it. And it's so frustrating, like hearing yeah. your immediate, even some of your immediate family members speaking a language you don't yeah. know or right? um, can't engage in. Yeah. And Ellie's parents, it was like, we need to assimilate mm -hmm. when they immigrated. You need to assimilate and look at me now. <laughs> I know. I mean, for me, it was different circumstances. I didn't grow up with my Saudi side because that's my father's Saudi. My mom's mm -hmm. not. So it was later when I was a teenager, I started mm -hmm. associating with the family and stuff. So it was a different experience. Ellie has told me that she, as a kid, mm -hmm. from what her parents say, she spoke Arabic, but yeah. it's like lost it because didn't use it. it and they didn't really encourage it. So yeah, that's how it was with my brother. Hopefully now 
teachers understand that being bilingual is a (laughs) gift (laughs) and it's a sign that the person will be advanced in a lot of things. Yeah, Yeah, but I grew up in Reagan's America. Yeah, you were, that was a hard time. I mean, it's a hard time for immigrants now. At that time, I feel like there was a huge emphasis on abandon your culture completely. I mean, I kind of get it because there were revolutions happening all throughout the 60s and 70s. And a lot of people were starting to realize that not all of them were going to end well. Mm-hmm. You know, my parents just had fled the Civil War, which was an ongoing trauma that they had to experience and then had to basically watch from afar every night on the news. They couldn't, God. They couldn't get away yeah. from it, but they didn't want to, they didn't want to be cut off from it either. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I'm sort of like feeling like, shit, what is my culture? I hear that. It's really that frustration of feeling distant just because of like language, I think is yeah. so interesting. Three days ago when I was still home, I was listening to Arabic music. I don't even remember what I was listening yeah. to. I think I was listening to like Muhammad Asaf. I was just like, I'm going to have some fun. And my mom came in and she was just like, are you listening to Arabic music? I was like, yeah. And she's like, gosh, Summer, you're so Palestinian. I was like, wow, thank you for Aww. that affirmation. How nice. But also I was like, but I don't really understand what this music, like I don't understand what they're saying very well. Um, And there's this really interesting thing of just loving something or being so drawn to something, but there's this weird distance. And it's like, I feel like just how like my work ethic is, I'll never be fluent in Arabic in the way that I hope to be. And it's just like, there'll always be that part of me that won't have access to something as much as I want to. And it's just like really weird because it's like, what what do I claim in terms of language? Language isn't the most important thing. It is a big thing, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's really difficult. It's, it's a weird feeling. Even if we are the most studious of people ever, yeah. <laughs> when you're not immersed in an Arabic-speaking society, I mean, it's just not going to be the same. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, you didn't grow up with that. Like, learning yeah. a language and speaking that language often shapes, like, how you think about and perceive the world. Absolutely. But I'm not Chomsky, so I'm not going to talk linguistics. And <laughs> That's fair. What got you interested in writing? When did you start mm-hmm. engaging in it? How has that morphed during your life, your writing style? Or has have you always had the, a consistent writing style? My parents were really, really big on reading and writing and just like the importance of that yeah. with my brother and I. And I think a lot of it had to do with my dad's immigration experience in that he didn't speak English well when he moved here. Why would he? Right. Um, yeah. And just like kind of that struggle of being a student who has to go to school but not knowing the language of instruction that you're being taught in um and now his english is like amazing and at his job he writes great emails and like you know Mm -hmm. he's very very fluent and like competent but just i know that it was really hard for him just like being a middle schooler and not knowing english and things like that and just Later in his studies, when he was in college, he wanted to study, he wanted to do like a PhD in chemistry, but you needed to have German in order to do that back then. Oh, um, And he just like couldn't learn German. He just like couldn't do it. It's like he had, he had like, he had Arabic, he had Hebrew, he had French, he had, you know, oh, English. Wow. He couldn't get the German Yeah, because it was just like another thing he had to learn of the structure of just, and so like, I, it was very much like, our kids won't have that disadvantage like reading and like their reading skills or their writing skills will never be something that keeps them from doing what they want to do and yeah and like I mean it worked my brother is like a great writer he's a lawyer now (laughs) 
um, oh, wow. you know, smart person. And for with me, I was just like, well, books are the only thing I like now because <laughs> you guys told me to. <laughs> so it was a lot of reading growing up, being read to. I was always really into like writing. I was always into storytelling. I think that was the thing. I We had like a, like a camcorder. Um, when I was very young and I remember I like wrote like a script in crayon and I made all oh. the other girls in the neighborhood participate in my film <laughs> um, and I wrote a lot of short stories when I was young and I would print them off and bind them in presentation folders and I was just very in love with the idea of being a writer always love and it. I, <laughs> I think poetry started being my main medium when I got into college and I just started going to some workshops and I was like oh okay cool this is like the way in which I want to express myself because there's something so lovely about poetry in the way that it articulates things that are so difficult to articulate I think that for me like poetry isn't constricting in the way that like um fiction can often be mm -hmm. um just like the idea of form of fiction or arcs that I think happen in fiction with character building and world building oh, just yeah. feel overwhelming <laughs> sometimes um with like the kind of narratives and the stories that I want to tell a lot of it is because I just so I think poetry offers a really interesting way in which there's constantly questions being raised and like kind of sub questions being raised as you go through and mm -hmm. that sense of incompleteness that you can sit with in an emotion yes. or the way which you never really have to actually name something if you can't locate it I think poetry has been a really really good outlet for me in all of that yeah. articulation because there's just so much every time I'm like a feeling what are you yeah. Um, it's like and, stupid language only letting me articulate one coherent thought at once right it's like yeah. <laughs> I have so many things exploding inside of me and I don't know how to name it and I think poetry has been a really really nice way to help explore that but yeah it's been going awesome. good you know writing poetry there's something really unique to it because it can be as brief as you want it can be as mm -hmm. long as you want yeah. the rhythm can be however you want the audience really shapes, I, from what I have observed as an audience member at poetry slams or like poetry readings or whatever, I, the audience seems to really shape the way it's delivered. The poem is delivered in certain ways and then like everyone has their own interpretation and it's like really cool to have a full discussion afterwards about it and like yeah. kind of complete what you feel needs answers together and individually. I see what you mean. It's, it's unlike any other writing style. There's a lot of freedom to it. I love that you, <laughs> you're doing this. And um, spoiler alert, uh, Summer has offered to read one of her poems uh, <laughs> later on. Ellie wants to have some nerd talk with you oh, hell before yeah, that, though. It. <laughs> so in yeah. our usual research beforehand, we, <laughs> we of course go through people's pages and stuff. One, two, one because, you know, research and two like because reasons we don't want to we don't want to be hitting up the wrong people and three mm -hmm. uh because it's damn interesting <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and apparently uh summer here is a pokemon master i love pokemon okay there's just i think a lot about the things i'm interested in now and i think about when i think about the ways i've changed stuff like that and i think about what are the things that i'm interested in i've actually been having a lot of weird i think it's because i'm graduating but i've been having a lot of like really deep self 
introspective, self-reflective nights every night, basically, kind of like freaking out about my future. Um, Natural. And one of the, you know, <laughs> been there. Um, yeah. One of those ways that have that I've been thinking about that is through like the things I used to like and like what do I like now? And I was thinking about like Supernatural, the TV series on CW, um, oh. still going. For some reason, yeah. I used to love Supernatural. When I was a sophomore in high school, I fucking loved Supernatural. Oh. Like, I was so into it. All in on fandom. Ran a fan fiction blog. Nice. Like, went to Comic-Con. All that shit. Like, I loved it. And the other day, I was like, would I still enjoy reading Supernatural fan fiction? I don't watch the show. I haven't watched the show in a long time. But, like, would I still enjoy it? So I went to a website, and I, like, opened it up. Archive of Our Own, my favorite fan fiction website. Yeah. And I sorted by like kudos, so like you know most popular, and I didn't recognize the second most popular one, and I oh, was wow. like, I was like, wait, that's weird. And I looked over, and it said 2014, and I was like, I stopped liking Supernatural before 2014. Like that's so long ago. Yeah. Something that I loved so much, literally, I stopped watching it in like 2013. Um, so I was just like, wow, that's such a weird part of me that is no longer part of me anymore at all. Right. And I read one and I was just like, nope, I feel nothing. I'm not interested in this at all. Um, but Pokemon. <laughs> Ooh, that stuck <laughs> with you. Hand, literally, some of my first memories are playing Pokemon Stadium on N64 with my brother. And like, it's just something that I consistently have loved for such a long time and has always been a really important tool for me navigating just like bad times. Like when my family yeah. moved from um, Michigan to California, it was how I made friends. I just asked people like, do you play Pokemon? Oh. Cause I do. Yeah. And like, it's something like my brother and I, like we have seven years age difference, which is a pretty big age difference, but uh, we get along very, very well. And one of the things is like, we always talk about Pokemon. Like he just texted me how many Wi-Fi battles he's been winning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and oh my like, god, I've got to fight him now. Yeah, no, he's like, God, so we both got Pokemon Let's Go. I like got it like a week and a half before him. So I was like basically done with it before he got it. Because, you know, yeah. it takes you a week to play through Kanto when you played through it like 80,000 times. <laughs> but he's like, he has like, he's beaten like so many Master Trainers. Like he has like a million Pokemon at level 100. And I'm like, Holy I kind of just crap. out. But. Um, yeah, Pokemon has been like something that's very, very important to me. It's something I always love. And I've also, there was a point in time where I could say, like, I've watched every episode of the Pokemon anime. What? Not Whoa. true anymore, because <laughs> I haven't watched last season of Sun and Moon. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it, supposedly, it's very good. I know. I've watched um, some of it and I enjoy it. But I was also like, I really don't like dub shaming because, like, I don't. I, I don't focus very well, so I don't like watching things in subtitles. I like watching dub. But sometimes when I'm watching Pokemon, I wonder, like, would this be different <laughs> if I was watching this in Japanese with subtitles? Fair. Yeah, fair question. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you play or have you played? Ellie was obsessed with Pokemon Sun. Did you get Sun or uh, Moon? Well, I basically so I played it very young as a child at, mm -hmm. with with the original Red and Blue, and then yeah. like I kind of just fell off that wagon for the longest time, and I was like, oh hey, X and Y. This seems pretty cool. This whole French aesthetic, and then Hell I was yeah. like, then I was like, Sun and Moon. Oh, hey, Pacific Islander aesthetic, and mm -hmm. it's really cool. And I kind of fell in love with it again in like my thirties. So, yeah, was... I think 
So I've actually played every game. <laughs> um, nice. But Sun and Moon, I thought was truly incredible. I think X and Y was a little disappointing because of difficulty level. Like they kind of made it too easy. And I think the aesthetics of it were beautiful. And just like some of the things that they did with the cityscape, it was just really cool. And I liked, I like when they actually develop your relationship with your Pokemon because the whole game is like, it's you and your Pokemon, your friends, and like they're doing this because really they're your cool, friends. Yeah. Uh, X and Y really like allowed you to actually bond. Um, but Sun and Moon was stunning. I thought that like there was it was a good story. It's exciting when the story in Pokemon gets yeah. better. I thought that like the new mechanisms for battling were awesome. And yeah, I was I loved Sun and Moon. I actually really want to get Ultra Sun just so I can play through it again. But I've been waiting for to find a used copy that's like not forty dollars. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. So what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite Pokemon? Um, so for a long time, my favorite Pokemon was Celebi because I'm really into like fairy forest aesthetic things. Um, but in Gen 5, in the anime, I think just like Ash's Oshawott was like the most Mm -hmm. precious thing I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, oh, this is, this is my favorite Pokemon I've ever seen. And it's literally like, I have an Oshawott as my icon for like my school email, which is not professional at all. Um, But you know, I, yeah, but like, it's an interesting question to answer because my brain is like, you love cute things, but also like you like to be strong. (laughs) Um, so I like to think of the Pokemon that I like battling with the most. So like, I really like oh. using Haxorus. I like using Blaziken. For those who are not Pokemon yeah. people, those are like high-end evolved, <laughs> you know, edgy looking Pokemon. Yeah, they are not like, cute. <laughs> I just like, there was a period where uh, my friends and I would play uh, Gen 5 battles a lot. Like we would do, like we would battle each other in Gen 5 the most, I think, for some reason. And my Haxorus would win. Like I would win so much. And I just felt so much like affection towards this video game animal that I had raised to be strong enough to beat my friends. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's also really fun about Pokemon is thinking about origin and lore and how these characters are created and all of the care that gets put into the legends and like the research. It's just really fun. And like I can spend hours on like Bulbapedia, which is Pokemon Wikipedia, (laughs) um, seeing all the different like origins and like legends that these Pokemon come from. It's just really fun. I've seen you on that a few times. (laughs) Yeah. In the interest of full disclosure, I am my favorite Pokemon is Furret because oh, it's, it's excellent. A, yes, but I also get you on that whole battling front, you know. Mm-hmm. But for like battling, and also because it's super cute, melodic. It's a little. Oh, this is absolutely. Really, yeah, you know what's up. What's really fun about I have like a good story about melodic. So, <laughs> so the uh, way to get it in Gen three is like you have to catch a Feebas, but Feebas are so rare that they only occur on one, a certain number of squares in this one body of water. And you have to catch a Feebas with the right nature because to evolve it into a Milotic, you have, it has to have its like beauty maximized, which was a new thing introduced in Gen 3. And I was not, I'm not a patient person, but I really, really wanted a Milotic. And so like my brother just did it for me. He like caught the Feebas and did all that stuff for me. And it's just like, it's, so interesting that like I have so many like just stories tied about my relationship with my brother to video games which is so much I was just like I want this Pokemon I'm 
also nine years old, so I don't have the patience to do this myself. I get that. I also bonded with my brother with Pokemon. <laughs> we also bonded a lot over Smash games because he, yeah. he's a Kirby main. I don't know how to deal with him. <sighs> Darling, what is your favorite Pokemon? Okay, for the longest time it's been Diglett, but I haven't known what? many Pokemon. But I started playing Pokemon Go and I love... Can you remind me, Summer, the, the moon one? Oh, Lunatone. Lunatone. So I just got a Lunatone and now I'm like obsessed with that one. I think that's the cutest thing ever. I have not seen the evolved one, so... There isn't one. Oh, there, there isn't? isn't? Oh, yeah. okay, good. So it stays like that. It has I a, think, I think it has a mega form. I don't, I don't remember exactly. I don't oh, think, okay. Well, does it not have a mega form? I don't think it does. Okay, maybe it's just it's just how it is. It just is. It's just a yeah. tiny moon the whole time. It's a good moon. It's cute. It's so cute. I saw it. I was walking to work and I saw this crescent shaped thing and I was like, oh my god, I cannot. <laughs> I have to stop. And I was obsessed with getting it. And then it disappeared and I got really upset. Oh, so no. then I saw it again and oh, caught it finally. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy. Yeah. Um, I think it's really cool to think about the aspects of gaming, like with Pokemon, that mm -hmm. are relevant to life too, like how yeah. it helps form relationships, it helps bond people. Um, Ellie really likes this gaming convention called PAX, and we were just at PAX, and we went to this really cool panel where um, a trans woman was talking about how playing games had a big impact on her coming out as trans, mm -hmm. because like even just being able to pick female characters. Yeah in games and stuff like that and it was just really eye-opening for me to hear all of the ways games have impacted people yeah i think that i mostly played nintendo games my whole life like i we never had any other systems and like i had like i knew i had like neighbors and stuff that had other systems but i was a pretty solidly nintendo person and i think it's really like i i had played um red and blue pokemon um but they were like hand-me-downs from my brother um and so he never let me re reset them <laughs> so i would just like play through and like fight the elite four over and over again <laughs> so my first like actual pokemon game that was mine you know i got to play it was um gen 3 and so i was able to pick the female player character um and it's like interesting yeah. that there was a time when you couldn't but like later it's like you know it asks you like are you a boy or a girl and it's just like mm. Some people are not either. Yeah, um, right. And then the ways that games are changing now where they don't ask you, are you a boy or a girl? Yeah. Um, they just have you pick a character to choose from. I think is really interesting. And I didn't realize how much, how like, I don't know, heavy that question could be yeah. just for your Game Boy to ask you that. My 12-year-old self existential crisis just triggered by Pokemon. <laughs> I was like, are you a boy or a girl? I was like, shit. You're like... Don't ask me that. Don't ask me that. Yeah. <laughs> or like thinking about uh, like games like Legend of Zelda. Like I was playing Breath of the Wild um, and I generally like naming, like when they give you the option to name a character, I kind of just like naming the character, like what the character's name is. <laughs> I like naming Link. Yeah. <laughs> I fair. like naming like my, in Pokemon games, I think the first time I play it through, I'll give the character, like I'll name my player character Summer. But then the second time I play through, I'll often give it the name of the character. The character. So like, so like Sapphire or May or whatever. So I was like playing and I was playing as Link and my brother was like, wait, can you not name it Summer? And I was like, no, I can. I just like, I just like naming it Link. Yeah. But just thinking about like the kind of mutability of a character that is a default avatar, but you can name it whatever you want to name them. 
I think is really interesting too in terms of like representations or like how you perceive that avatar or like what is like put on them. I feel that too, especially like, especially when I started seeing like, um, I guess we'll stick with the Pokemon theme, Pokemon games, and it's like male or female. It's like, oh, so it's just very either Asian or white. And, and then they like, I think it was like, X and Y, I was like, whoa, mm -hmm. they actually have my skin tones. Yeah, oh, that was super, super. Awesome. You can change, because like, I think I never really cared much about character customization in terms of, I want to be cute. But it's cool to be like, oh, I can change the eye color and the hair color and like yeah. all of these things. And like in uh, Pokemon Let's Go, uh, your mom is brown by default, which is oh, super interesting. Cool. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. So this is like the moves that they're making. Yeah. yeah. And just being able to like, I, I really hope Animal Crossing does that. Yes. I love I, Animal Crossing. I love oh Animal gosh. Crossing so much. But it's absurd that the only way to have a darker skin cone is to hang out on the island for yes. six hours and get yes. a tan. That I've doesn't make sense. complained about that too. Yeah. It's but... like, why can't you naturally have more melanin in your skin? <laughs> I think <laughs> Why is that not an option? I think the next one is going to be a thing. because I think so too. Uh, because in the new Smash game, yeah. one of the villager options is very dark skinned. So. Yep. Oh, okay. And yeah. it is most definitely not a tan. No, exactly. Good. Yeah, like awesome. I think... I think they're gonna do it. Animal Crossing for Switch. I don't. Yes. I've been tweeting about it like every day. Yes, please Switch. Please do do it. I need it so badly. I know. I need it so bad. It was like 2012. Like New Leaf came out in 2012, and like that I like long Pocket ago. Camp. I didn't know that. I know. I oh was my checking. God. Like I like Pocket Camp, but mm -hmm. I don't. I really don't like phone games because I need yeah. my phone to not be dead. <laughs> That's why I stopped playing Pokemon Go too just because um it's draining yeah. you know my phone dies and it's like yeah. <laughs> but yeah animal crossing i think is also a really because like in that like you pick the way animal crossing determines your gender is wild because it's by a series of questions when asked you're by this random cat yeah right? it's very strange but uh yeah. you can wear whatever clothes you want in animal crossing which was kind of cool and they won't yeah. give you shit for it either be like yeah. like it's like a boy in a dress well it is whatever year it is and it's awesome yeah, yeah it's really mm -hmm. sweet to see like i don't know the changes of just like these i don't know subtle changes in game development um but like i yeah. only really play nintendo games so like these kind of like small like i don't know because i think nintendo games are maybe more character driven than other franchises might be it's not as like like rpg games have like a lot of freedom in them and stuff i don't know but i feel like nintendo games i wasn't noticing like i never really cared that there that link was male i guess i don't know like i was not, it was like not something frustrating to me but i think that like in a game like pokemon where your player character has no backstory yeah it should be whatever building, you want it to be right it's like with animal crossing you're like yeah. building yourself and your environment from scratch yeah. it should be whoever you want to be yeah and with yeah. mario you just He's Mario. He's like Mario. <laughs> that's who he is, and he comes as he is, and you you don't customize who he is. Yeah, that's a good I point. It's interesting. But but, uh, I, but I too also appreciate the expanded gender options. Like uh, if you go on the PC side of things, there's Monster Hunter PC and PlayStation Xbox, uh, Monster Hunter World, where if you pick a female character, you can have a beard. And, that's great. And it's not like a joke beard. It's like a pretty cool beard. I'm yeah. like. That's pretty cool, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that because I did so much Nintendo stuff, like there's a lot of like things about 
gaming that I didn't realize happening. And I think in terms of representations and like expansion of like who gets to play games and feel comfortable playing games, I think is really, really cool. Like I don't yeah. play like Overwatch, but like every once in a while I see the backstory that they add to characters and it's like, oh, now there are queer characters. And I'm like, wow, how fun that my first person shooter is a lesbian. <laughs> like that is awesome. Oh, hey. um, yeah. bonus points for this. Uh, both of the mascot characters now, Tracer and Soldier 76, both came out as gay. Amazing. Tracer is out lesbian with a committed girlfriend cool. and they had a really, this really adorable Christmas comic like year ago when she's getting her a present and it's cute. That's and, cute. And Soldier 76, who is the sort of Call of Duty manly man, older gruff guy who's like, I'm so grizzled and tough. <laughs> <laughs> and the latest like story bit is, oh, he misses his boyfriend. Yeah, I like read that and I played Overwatch like once. I was like, oh, how sweet. I love it. And it's also really cool to like kind of insert this backstory in a game that like doesn't necessarily call for it. Like, I think it's really cool. It's super cool. And the fact that it has such a strong international presence, like, absolutely, in, like in places, like there are places like Russia where it is played extensively. And I know there's like a bit of an Iranian player base. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know how much access they have to the English version or English story stuff, but mm -hmm. still, it's cool. It's exposure. It's normalization. It's exciting. We've kind of straight off topic on this. One. It's <laughs> awesome. Someone gets it. <laughs> I mean, games are like, video games are such a cool narrative device. Like, they are. I think that my biggest thing is always just like, I'm into any mediums of storytelling. I really like, you know, obviously, like, I like poems, but I also like, you know, I love novels. I love novels nonfiction prose i love tv shows and every everything comics whatever yeah and like video games are such an untapped like narrative yeah <laughs> field i think and just playing through breath of the wild again recently i decided that i was gonna find all of the like the memories in the game for i don't know people haven't played it it's like link lost his memory and you have the option of discovering the plot of the game basically if you want you don't have to but i was finding all of them and just like watching these cutscenes that are so out of character for zelda games but so beautiful and there's like legitimate characterization of Zelda and I was like wow oh she God. has an arc she is a scholar now like she's a character and she has yeah. a story and it's so cool all of these ways that video game stories have been so you know like driven into me as things that like I thoroughly enjoy but it's exciting to see them get better and for people to ask more of a story I think and it also is more accessible in some ways too because absolutely you know, games don't, you don't need to learn, know the language in a lot of cases, you know. Yeah. It's trippy to think that video games as a medium are like, you know, barely 40 years old. Yeah. Like, yeah. The first one was 76. It's wild. For, for those keeping track. And <laughs> like film, you know, there were films being done in like the 18, 1880s and 1870s. Yeah. Films over like 100 and... I want to say like 140, 150. And books, of course, are like, you know, six, <laughs> yeah. six, centuries, 6, centuries. 6,000 years. But right. books Millennium. being commonly available to regular 
assholes like us, you know, printing press 300 years in the Western world and even longer in China. I've never thought about it this way. We were talking about benefits of poetry and I mm -hmm. guess like there are kind of parallel benefits to video games. Like it leaves you with questions and it's yeah. so open to discussion. That's really interesting. I it's super cool because like yeah. video games allow you to take away as much or as little as you want, I think, in terms of story. I remember watching my brother play Ocarina of Time and he would play through it many times. So it would get to the point where he wouldn't really read like non-player character dialogue anymore and just would like, you know, press B through. Right. But like it would be maybe right when I was learning how to read. <laughs> So I'd be watching him. Oh. I'd be like, excuse me, I want to read what they're saying. Let me finish. <laughs> yeah. Like, I need to know the story that's happening here. You know, I think oh. what needs to happen. Yeah. So cool. I think what needs to happen for all is to retain or better Arabic video games in Arabic with stories. Honestly, oh my god. I yeah. almost started um Pokemon Okay, so Pokemon Let's Go, you know, when you start up a game for the first time, it's like, here's your language options. Oh I was like, god. honestly, I've played through Kanto so many times, like I could I could do it in Arabic. Oh, like, that would be so cool. Wait, is it Arabic have... an option? Is it? No. They didn't have God it. Damn they didn't it. Have damn. it I know. I know. I was like That's legit. Important. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't need. Like, I've I've played this game like before. Like, I know it. I could do it. And right. I, didn't. I mean, it that would be option. such a cool tool. A great right? tool for language learners. Just being I, exposed yeah. to the language in a fun way. Because it's yeah. just like what an easy way to immerse yourself <laughs> with something yeah. you already love doing. Mm -hmm. I think um, Duolingo is adding Arabic March first. Oh, it's oh okay. For. Good. I thought it was earlier it was, they pushed it back yeah. they pushed it back it was yeah. supposed to be I can't um, wait. it was like october December. yeah something yeah first october then they kept pushing it back yeah i guess it's a lot it actually is march it's a but... big language to fit into the app i guess yeah but like <laughs> but like i like want it elvish <laughs> like that i right 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 i know i've thought yeah. about that too i'm like priorities <laughs> Do we need fake languages before real languages? Before actually, yeah. <laughs> that are like very, very well, you know, very spoken. Um, exactly. But yeah, so like, yeah. I think, I think, I, yeah, honestly, video games as language learning would be really, really cool. Um, it would be. If only Nintendo <laughs> translated into Arabic. I know. I bet that'll be a couple generations from now. Like, yeah. that'll be a thing. I'm, I'm hoping. But so, we're, yeah. but we're oh. seeing a queering of a, a whole new medium here. I mean, we've mm -hmm. had, you know, queer poetry for forever. Yeah. It's like, hey, Sappho. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that we're finally getting away from, like, oh, they were just her close friends. I know. God. Her best friends, quote unquote. Yeah. It's so exhausting. <laughs> I know. Come on. It's like, like you, know. you know, like, I study English, whatever, like, literature. Yeah. And, like, so I took a few classes with the same professor, and he would teach Shakespeare sonnets in the same way every time. And, like, I loved it. It was, like, my favorite part of nice. the class. I just loved sonnets like it's one of my favorite periods of renaissance poetry i think i i heard his lecture on the sonnets like twice and every time there would be some dude in the back being like <clears throat> what if uh the first section which is obviously to a man was actually meant to be from the female voice <laughs> and it's like no i'm sorry shakespeare was queer <laughs> like get, get over, over it, it. Like, what like what get over it oh my um, god just exhausting things like that and just yeah. like sitting in lectures and being like what why are you even yeah like why are you even trying to argue with this but yeah there's just there's... always someone who tries to make it not gay there's like, always a bro i, yeah. I call them back i call them back row bros. back back, back row, row bros bro. yeah <laughs> they're always we were talking to one of our friends she was 
a past guest, actually, mm-hmm. uh, Nadia, and we've been talking about all the types of bros out there. So I'm going to have to <laughs> let her know, hey, we have another one. Yeah. Back row bros. <laughs> They're the, exo- like, literally, just like. They are so exhausting. So tiring. Yeah. I just, yeah. But yeah, just like, I think it's it's yeah. fun to think about the potentials of storytelling in video games that goes further. And I don't know much about like indie game development, but I read a lot about people who do actually play indie games. It's very interesting yeah. to be, it's weird to like know a lot about games that you've never actually played yourself or like watch Let's Plays or anything. You're just like, just Cause you hear people talk about them. Video game read about them. Yeah. And just like, it's cool to see like what people are letting happen and it's exciting and more mediums for storytelling. Video games are cool because you get to put yourself in that story. And I think about what that means for like empathy building and stuff like that. Yeah. Especially um, with queer characters coming up. Yeah. So many, like even like major video games, you got like Dragon yeah, Age. Yeah. Mass- well, basically everything Bioware has a queer character in it somewhere. Uh, you oh, could wow. with romance options, and you've got like some yeah. really cool games coming out, like uh, Dream Daddy, which is a yeah. gay dating sim, and oh, yeah. uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, which we actually met one of the uh, developers for. Oh, that's cool. And that sounded really cool. It's like date your swords, and one of them is per, you know personified swords, and one of them is gay, and it's awesome. But we're also it's so cool because we're actually like in an era where there's a brand new medium, mm-hmm. and there's like no. It's not central to in any country, really. It's like, yeah. and it's not mm-hmm. subject to any censorship, really. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. with a few, like, the larger companies have to abide by certain rules, but, like, indies, yeah. no. Yeah, there's, whatever. So there's, like, so much queer art coming out of it. Yeah. And there's, like, been several games on the trans experience, games on the experience of depression. There's even um, the Revolution of 76, Mm-hmm. Which wow. which was basically wow. about the Iranian Revolution yeah. and stories going on with that. I don't know. I haven't played it. I need to. It's like a learning tool too. Yeah. And, um. So before we end the episode, mm-hmm. as promised, oh yeah, we're gonna ask Summer to share um one of her poems, and I just really appreciate that you're you're sharing one with us. Oh yeah, of course. Really excited. You know, might as well. <laughs> Cool. Okay. Um, so this is called uh, Mulberry Stains on Sundays, and it was published in um, Hooligan Magazine, which is a really, really awesome arts and lit journal based out of Chicago. So I cool. would okay. check them awesome. out. Baba goes to the farmer's market and gets everything fresh. The fresher the eggs, the better, and I don't like the taste or texture, but when the yolks are bright, I think we are okay. I watch Mama gently pick up the produce and test its strength as she tells me she read that pesticides make fruit weak. These chemicals are too harmful for our roots. I read about Gaza, left with fields of spoiled roots, herbicides sprayed needlessly on crops, stomachs bare, water supply bare. Baba, have you checked in with our family far away? Me, spoiled, indulges on boxes and boxes of the sweetest berries whose names I do not know while dollar signs punctuate my stomach. My parents remember the berries, call them toot, and we savor this taste of the old country, untainted by the fleeing tongue. Mulberry juice, a remnant of nursery rhymes I never called my own. I cannot fathom this fruit to exist outside of this home, and I know it grows far away, but I imagine it to look like Nazareth. And I know you want to find love in this land, too. Want to ask these roots to nurture our roots. But our roots are dying. 
Mama and Baba have four hands, working as 14. He chops and she cooks, pretending to feed a family of 10. Jibney sizzles as they listen, and I wonder how the Mawal bursting from the TV speakers compares to records echoing against stone walls and staircases. There are four chairs at the table. Baba hands me a plate of edgy, and even though I do not like eggs, I dollop on Ladhani and we have leftovers, so I have seconds and thirds. And in our home, we think we know where the mulberries came from, but... I like to pretend we're pretending we're in Nazareth and nothing is wrong here. In 1948 is just a year and no one left and the land is ours and I know the sweetest fruit by only one name. Everything is like, I'm <laughs> feeling, oh, chills. Thank um, you. <laughs> that was gorgeous. I love the duality of the word roots in that poem, the double meaning. That's just absolutely stunning. For me, the avoiding all the traumatic times that came in the for Palestine in the 40s and 50s. And yeah, I, I really felt that, you know, like my family really tried to dodge that trauma. Yeah. And, and yeah, this was a one of those, we figured out the English word for something that we found, you know, kind of thing. Um, yeah. My, yeah, farmer's market got some mulberries and my parents were like, oh, this is like the best fruit in the world. And I was like, oh, my God, it is. This is just candy. Um, and I didn't know what they were. And then we found out. And I was like, tight. There's a lot of things I don't know. <laughs> but they still have that significance to you. Yeah. Even if you find out like, OK, they grow in the tree down the street. It still feels Now you like have that association. Yeah. Yeah. A specific context. Yeah. And with that, a small piece of your culture is handed down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It opens up a story from your parents. Thank you so much. Where can people um, follow you, connect with you? Yeah, so uh, my Twitter is at Sumabis, S-U-M-M-A-B-I-S. So follow me on Twitter. I tweet a lot. <laughs> um, follow me on Instagram at Borders Bookstore. I love Seriously. I love that so much. <laughs> oh, I, I just like telling people that's my Instagram. I don't care if you Everyone actually reacts the same, I'm sure. <laughs> Very we have, we have verified this fact. <laughs> yes, Borders um, Bookstore is it's summer on Instagram. It's um, yeah. And then um, I have poems forthcoming this year from uh, Mizna, which is the Arab American. Uh, oh my extra. god, I love Mizna. I'm going to be in the Palestine issue, which comes out oh, soon, actually. Yeah. That's the that's the organization in Minneapolis, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I know I've gone to some of their stuff. It's yeah. They're amazing. And then, uh, yeah, and I'm going to be, yeah. So just follow me on Twitter. I'll tweet out my poems. And yeah, thank you guys so much for Yay, having me. Thank you. This was awesome. You were wonderful. And <laughs> thanks for letting me stalk you after hearing you on Instagram. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ethically yeah. ambiguous. I'll do any podcast anytime. I love to I love to be wanted. <laughs> you are. Um, and you can all follow us on the queer at the queer Arabs at um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We have a website, thequeerarabs.com, and our email is thequeerarabs at gmail.com. And the Arabic side of the podcast, led by Ahmed, is at the queer Arabs in Arabic at gmail.com. That's how you can uh, connect with him. So thank you all so much for listening and thank you, Summer, again.